This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tool. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Tactical Breakdown series. Our show in which we look at the players that have been linked to Arsenal and break them down in a statistical and analytical way. Now, today's show is all about the Ukrainian international Mikhailo Mudrik. Now, we have done one of these shows before. We did it way back in the summer before the season started when Arsenal were first linked to the 21-year-old. So this is an updated version, but also a much more in-depth version. Now, typically what we do with our Tactical Breakdown shows is we usually have a little clip from one of our experts that are contributed to the show to give you a bit of an insight now what i thought we'd do for this one and we've done this from other, uh, other shows and other targets in the past but with it being Madrick and being a player that really could potentially be joining Arsenal this winter, I thought it'd be an even better opportunity to bring in an expert to talk through this with me and you guys, and maybe take some of your questions at the end uh, throughout the entirety of the show. So I'm very happy to introduce to you once again, Andrew Todos. How are you doing, mate? You good, you well? Hi, Tom. Yeah, I'm very good. First time sort of live, I think, on this mm. on this show. So uh, pleasure to be on. Indeed, yeah, you've, you've contributed on the channel a number of times. Uh, Arsenal have had a habit of being linked with some Ukrainian players. Uh, Matt Vienko, I remember, I think was the first time mm. uh, we worked together. And then, of course, Alexander Zinchenko uh, came up as well, and, and we had to speak to you about that. And ironically, it was the game, and we're going to talk about this game in particular a little bit later on, but Mudrik's international debut against uh, Scotland, I think it was. Uh, or was it Scotland or Wales? I think it was Scotland, wasn't it? Scotland, um, yeah. And uh, that was the game everyone was kind of watching to watch Zinchenko. And then all of a sudden, this this burst of blonde hair comes off the bench and absolutely smashes it, um, which has kind of really led to his uh, real notoriety amongst Arsenal fans. And now here we are months later talking about potentially him joining the club. But before we get into that, just for the benefit of those listening, just give yourself a bit of a background so uh, the listeners can understand who exactly and what you're doing. Cool. Yeah. So my name's Andrew Todos. I run Zoria Londonsk on social medias, also on the Zoria Londonsk website. And I'm essentially a Ukrainian football journalist. Obviously, by my accent, you can tell <laughs> I'm not born in Ukraine, um, but I am born and raised in London, but I've got Ukrainian family, hence the connections there. And I've been working in Ukrainian football um, pretty much, you know, either as a hobby and then working into sort of full-time freelance work uh, since 2018. 
Mm. So been to like more or less every single uh, Ukraine game this year and over the past few years, COVID permitting and other things like that. Been to mm. many a Shakhtar game, uh, been to was that five of their six Champions League ties this season. So have had a big glimpse into Madrid's sort of meteoric rise. Mm. And on top of that, uh, been covering a lot of other things for both British media and Ukrainian media in relation to Ukrainian football and other sports too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, Ukraine in itself and football is a, a very interesting place to, to look into um, with current affairs. And I know that you've been out in Ukraine and you were out in Ukraine very kind of soon after everything escalated rather quickly as well. How has football really adapted to, to this period in particular? Because I'm curious to get your thoughts having been out there yourself. And, and how is kind of the sport going on at the moment? So... What happened after the full-scale invasion began in mm. February, the the season was just about to resume because there's always an annual winter break, which Ukrainian football is currently on right now for this season. Uh, it was about two days before that. Then the war began uh, and all football was obviously postponed. Uh, nothing happened mm. in, the, in terms of football for the remainder of the season. The actual UPL season was voided, per se. Um, Shakhtar, uh, Dynamo Kiev, they were given special permission to leave the country in about April time to play these champ uh, friendlies and also to get a bit of preparation for the Ukraine internationals ahead of those World Cup playoffs mm. that you've already mentioned. And in those friendlies, Milan Madrid made his debut uh, against in one of those unorthodox kind of uh, matches where a uh, national team plays clubs. So he made a mm. debut against Bruce Madrid Gladbach, uh, scored in it, but it doesn't count on his record because it's like yeah. not FIFA sanctioned. Mm. <laughs> so that's quite an interesting one. And then he played a bit more and slowly but surely he's made it towards the end of the year as a full starter. And then after that, in the summer, once it was slightly safer in parts of the country, obviously not all of them, uh, the Ukrainian Premier League resumed its new season or started its new season for the 22-23 campaign. That began in August, was there for the opening weekend, saw Mihailo Mudrik playing against Metalist 1925, um, saw a few other games going on there. Essentially, everything going as best as normal. It's more of like a COVID situation when no fans are allowed, obviously for safety reasons. And then if there's like air raid sirens and things going off during the mm. game, the match is paused players go down into the bomb shelters and then once that's over they come out and resume the game and most of the time I think 99% of the time that is what has happened there's been like one game that or a couple games had to be postponed or moved or something like that but yeah. on the whole no actual dangers to football and it's allowed obviously the likes of players like Madrid to continue developing. Mm, yeah, it's, it's a remarkable and, and sad situation um, and you know it show I think that the, the the tenacity of, of the Ukrainian people and, you know, to continue this on is an absolute testament to, to what is a really difficult time, um, of course. Focusing on Mudrik, which is, of course, what we're here to talk about. Um, what we're going to do is, is going to run you through some of the things we're going to talk about in today's show. Uh, specifically, to kick things off, we're going to go into the rise of Mikhailo Mudrik, uh, his style of play. I know a lot of you have been asking about how he compares playing on the counter-attack compared against teams playing more defensively and in a low block and how he might 
might deal with that. We're going to talk a little bit about his off-field antics. We know he's been doing some stuff on social media, which has been enjoyed by most Arsenal fans, maybe not so much Shakhtar Donetsk fans, but uh, certainly we're going to have a discussion about that and how he is as a professional as well. We're going to do some statistical comparisons as well, talk about how he might fit in at Arsenal and ultimately is he worth the money that's being talked about and take some of your questions as well as the end during the verdict as well. So to kick things off, of course, please do drop a like on the video if you haven't already done so and make sure you're following Andrew on Twitter at Zoya Londonsk uh, as well, which you can find at Zoya Londonsk on Twitter. Uh, let's move to the rise uh, of Mikhailo Mudrik. Now, first, I'm saying Mikhailo Mudrik. Is that pronunciation correct? I feel it's important to get these things right. So it, I've heard you say Milo Mudrik sometimes. Is that is, is um, it more of a softer Kind of it's just um, you can you can basically get rid of the K. So right. Mahila Mudrik. Mahila Mudrik. Yeah. But you, right. yeah, the surname is perfect. Perfect. Um, so yeah, talk me through how he kind of came about because if you'd have asked me about him two years ago, I would have had no idea who he is. Maybe even a year ago, uh, to be honest. So talk me through this this kind of incredible rise of the last twelve mm. to twenty four months. Absolutely. So he has for a long time been dubbed the Ukrainian Neymar. Right, mm. that's the the cliche classic that every well the dives and young gets sent wonder... off is that is that what <laughs> yeah that is? <laughs> the, the young wonder kid that gets that gets given dubbed either the Messi Shevchenko whatever in Ukraine and he was given the Ukrainian name off and that was mainly to do with his uh, showings for Shakhtar's youth team so he's been on the radar of people that have been following Ukrainian football for a good maybe five four years uh, mm. last five four years uh mainly because he's been doing a few things in the UEFA youth league he i think him and his current team teammate for the seniors uh Jorge Sudakov made a bit of viral clip footage when he did the uh i think the Suarez Messi Neymar sort of penalty trick where they laid it off mm. to one another and then converted and that was in the in the youth league back in the day so he was already around there. A lot of people knew him for his pace. He was a very flair-orientated player, uh, loads of skills, uh, trying to impress everyone. But he was very, still very much very raw, uh, mm. quite scrawny. Um, he's not the, he wasn't the biggest, I guess, the strongest of, of yeah. talents back then. You either. can tell from the two photos there. I mean, the difference. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, even that that photo on the left there, that's probably from when he was uh, in sort of the more youth uh, football days. Then mm. he got a couple of loans to Arsenal Kiev. <laughs> mm. yeah, he's is, played uh... for Arsenal before. <laughs> Arsenal <laughs> Kiev, yes. Sadly, Arsenal Kiev were absolutely terrible. Mm. Um, I think they finished bottom that year or even like had to leave the, the, the league halfway through the season because of financial problems and that kind of stuff. So mm. as much as that is a developing, uh, you know, a loan is meant to be for development, it wasn't that helpful. I think he had 11 appearances, didn't really do anything, you know, uh, productive in terms of goals or or assists. Then I think he was in and around sort of the Shakhtar periphery. Maybe he was like starting to be considered. However, the manager at the time, Luis Castro, who was there, he wasn't very satisfied with his attitude for whatever reason. Mm. Uh, basically, Madrid was trying a bit too much um, to make sort of TikTok videos, Instagram videos, where he was doing like skills and right. um, <laughs> those kind of passes, which obviously were living up to sort of the Neymar stereotype uh, per se. 
And it just looked like he wasn't going to get a look in. And especially with the fact that there were quite a lot of Brazilian talents in the Shakhtar squad at that time. So you had Tyson, everyone who probably everyone remembers, Tete, who currently plays for Olympic Lyonnais. They were all in there. And and even uh, Manuel Solomon, who recently joined Fulham. So there was a lot of competition for him. And for him to break into that team, it was extremely difficult. Then Castro left. He had a he had a minor loan at Desna Chernihiv where he didn't show too much either, and I think he had a bit of a falling out with the manager, and it was it was all just a bit. Yeah. I think it was mm. he was just like very young, and he wasn't being nurtured correctly. Uh, and essentially, once Castro left, Deserbi came in. Obviously, everyone knows Deserbi now because he's at Brighton, yeah. and he took him. He basically took Mudrik under his wing, and he was like, "Listen, uh, I've got faith in you." I'm going to start playing you a lot more regularly. And that essentially is what happened. He started to get a lot more first-team appearances. He made his debut in the Champions League, a start against Real Madrid, uh, which, you know, is no small feat for Mm. any kind of player. And he really impressed in that game. Shakhtar lost 2-1. But when he came off, I think in like the 60th minute or whatever, the whole of the Bernabeu in that game gave him a standing ovation. So I think that... That, they don't do that every day, so yeah. that just that it's usually just says everything about it. To be fair, more than anything in the Bernabeu, exactly. <laughs> Managers exactly. not particularly well, yeah. <laughs> um, so essentially, um, under under the Zerbi, he was getting a lot more confidence, and I think that's when it started to click in terms of like mm. the professionalism and how he wanted to grow and develop. In terms of he was taking more sessions in the gym, um, taking a lot more extra training sessions to work on his finishing, uh, to work on his dribbling and all that kind of stuff, you know, extra hours after all the other players had gone home. So it's kind of a Ronaldo mentality, you could say, where he's very much focused. And I think probably in no small part, that round of applause, that standing ovation from the Bernabeu probably added to that in terms of the motivating that he can bring, he can probably achieve a much higher level than he is. He just needs to sort of put the work in and that's what he's been doing ever since lovely stuff yeah uh, I think that the, the main takeaway I think from the rise obviously you've seen that the, the physical development he's undergone um, but it is such a drastic um, kind of show on to the main European scene international scene of course with Ukraine as well and I think that Deserbi deserves uh, a lot of of praise uh, for what he did with with Mudrik um, in terms of his style of play you did touch on on some of it loosely but to go into it in more detail and of course we'll look at some of the statistics and, and how he plays against some of the low low blocks and counter-attacking style i from watching and i i did a real deep dive into madrid today watching so many y scout clips and going through things that you're not just going to see on your youtube compilations which do make him look like the ukrainian neymar um <laughs> in all honesty but i i notice the first thing you notice is how quick he is it's insane how fast he is uh also how confident he is with the ball at his feet um and also how good he can be in those tight spaces but i mean go into further detail about how we would describe him and you see those links to Neymar but you can see why he gets dubbed that type of player absolutely uh he's highly technical like I think that's the first thing that has to be Mm. taken into account yes he's one of the fastest players I've ever seen especially live it's like complete electric pace (laughs) and in in a in a team where he plays for the likes of uh Shakhtar at the moment where especially in the Champions League, they are going to be playing counter-attacking football. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. going to be pretty direct where they're going to be trying to get the balls over the top uh, to feed him in and then for him to try and find a teammate. 
it's sort of that I understand why a lot of people think that he is that kind of player. However, what I think is also needs to be taken into account is probably two caveats that I'll probably add. Um, he's very good at passing as well, like mm. can literally a massive range of passes from you know long long ball switches, um, short range of passes to play the combinations with his teammates, the likes of um, Jorge Sudakov, who I could say is like the equivalent of an Odegaard in the Arsenal team where yeah. he links up well with him quite a lot. Um, Sudikov plays in balls for Mudrik to, to run onto and that kind of thing. On top of that, um, he's also, you know, does, you know, passes outside of his, outside the boot, you know, the kinds of things that you see like uh, Modric do. Maybe he's not at, at um, the kind of, let's say, the variety of maybe a Kevin De Bruyne, but he certainly mm. has that in his locker. So that that's that's for that's for starters. So when he is in like a tight spot for whatever reason, he can't play on that on that electric quick break. He can try and feed in someone. And he's got the decision making to do that as well in those quick spaces. For example, when he's doing those dribbles, and as we've mentioned, he's got quite a low center of gravity um, and he's quite agile as well to try and beat those players when he's in and around. Maybe not from like a standstill position. He'll mm. probably try and find a pass instead of that. But when he's got a bit of momentum going for him, um, he's able to beat a number of players all at once. And similarly, he's got great ball control. Like he can shift it onto his feet, one to another feet. Even though he's right-footed, he's very strong on his left from that perspective. And he's been, I think he's been honing in on that, where we mentioned that he's doing those extra sessions. He's been yeah. working on his weak foot for like the past year and a half minimum. Yeah. to try and improve that. And we've also seen that in his finishing. Yeah, mm. he's not going to be a prolific goal scorer for, just from the position that he plays in. Of course. But he's going to contribute heavily, heavily from that wing position. And also what I've been seeing quite a lot of recently, especially this half season that we've had so far, is that he's been coming in a bit more centrally. Less so from like a Yarmolenko type where he yeah. always cuts in and tries to shoot from... Um, outside, but more like trying to link up play. So, you know, either switching it out to the other wing or, for example, trying to feed in someone who's who's running in from the edge of the box. So I think there's a lot of, there's a there's a lot of, I guess, misconceptions about, about Mudrik based on the fact of how Shakhtar play. Yeah. Sadly. And also because of how good he is compared to, mm. you know, sadly, the rest of the team in terms of quality. It's um, it's understandable how in certain, I guess, some of those games in the Champions League, when he is sussed out and he sort of drifts out of the game, it's because there's no real alternative, you know, elsewhere on the pitch to try and create yeah. those those chances. And as a result, it sort of brings the whole team level down because he's sort of out of it. Whereas, for example, if he was to move to Arsenal, you've got Saka on the other side. You've got you know, um, Odegaard in the middle to try and try and shore something up or Enketia or Habrezus up front who are a lot more effective centre forwards than what Shakhtar's got. So mm-hmm. it, just, it just says a lot about the fact that I think in a better quality team overall, mm. he can improve, you know, exponentially. You touched on it again, like um, talking about the misconceptions around him. Yes, in the Champions League, which I think is obviously where I'd say 99% of people have watched Mikhailo, uh, Mihailo Mudrik. Um, he plays 
for the best team in Ukraine, which means that in the Ukrainian Premier League, you know, most of the time they have got the majority of possession in those games and they're not playing on the counter. And you can see from this one example, it's only one example of plenty and we don't have time to go through loads of them, of course, but you can see where he's playing. He try and works the face, uh, the space, sorry, off the left-hand side, drags away, opens that up, receives the ball and then works the space inside, can create a chance, can take a shot from distance. Some of his shots can be a bit wild. I've noticed a few of those, you know, he, he does like taking a shot from outside the box even though we joke about Yarmolenko and that you know he does still try and take quite a few shots from outside the box when he can but they're typically very accurate and we'll go into some of the, the, the stats on that shortly but just just to kind of reiterate that point because I know that previously Arsenal's record transfer was spent on Nicola Pepe who played in a very counter-attacking Lille team moved to Arsenal and it didn't necessarily work out I'm guessing from your nodding you don't expect that to be the case with with Mudrik I wouldn't say so. The fact of the matter is, is that it, it just seems that Madrid it will is better suited, will, will will be better suited to a team where he can where there's people with similar qualities to him. For example, just these screenshots that you're seeing there, uh, Lucina Traore, who's like uh, in the sort of the photo on the right hand side, yeah. is the centre forward, and he's like to the to like just in front of Madrid there in the box. And that's the centre forward. And that's the kind of things that Madrid has to do to try and take a shot on because there's just no one to feed the ball to mm. um, inside inside the area. I, I get, I, I guess, I think we were talking about this before the show, but he, is, he can be a bit greedy at sometimes. But I think that obviously adds to the fact that he sometimes has to be from the basis of what, what is on offer uh, from the options that he's got available to him. And... He's at an age, in my opinion, where he's still like quite, I don't know, you could say malleable. Yeah, he can like people can still he can still be developed into something a lot a lot better under um, under management and in a playing style, especially the kind of uh, progressive football that Arsenal want to play, um, where he still can learn and adapt to that. Whereas yeah. a lot of other Ukrainians, in obviously bad track record over the over the decades when they've moved to the Premier League, for example, like Yarmolenko, as I mentioned, just a bit mm-hmm. too late in the day to fully have an impact. And there's like loads of injuries and all that kind yeah. of thing. Whereas right now, I think Madrid's very prime to do so and to get adapted very quickly. Yeah, I mean, one of the other Ukrainians Arsenal were linked to in the past was Yevon Konoplyanka. Um, and I remember he moved to Sevilla when he was, I think, in his mid to, I think, 25, 26, he moved to Sevilla. And at that point, he he kind of was past that malleable phase where he was mm-hmm. going to really kind of change. And so it didn't necessarily work out um, the way they'd hoped. I know that, you know, he'd spent time at Schalke as well and then went back to Ukraine with, with Shakhtar. But you, I've seen a 30, a near 30-year-old, 28, 29-year-old Granit Xhaka be completely transformed by Mikel Arteta. So imagining what Arteta could do with, you know, a 21-year-old Mudrik with the ability and just the foundation that he's already got and showing at this level is is an exciting thought. Um, now, off-field, he has been, you know, <laughs> doing the, the business that Arsenal would need him to do uh, to try and force a move. <laughs> he did an interview with a, a good friend of the show, Ben Jacobs, um, in which he talked about some more social stuff. But he also asked him about Arsenal and basically turned around and said that he couldn't say no if Arsenal ever came in. And that certainly bled into the, the understanding right now is that if, if Arsenal agreed a fee of Shakhtar, there would be no issue on personal terms. He would be very much willing to join the club. So much so that the other day he posted on social media that he watched Arsenal 
Arsenal's game against West Ham. Now, some fans, uh, I've seen the the opinion of of questioning, is this the right type of character that Arsenal needs? Someone who's a bit, you know, really trying to force this. Is it, could it be misconstrued or disruptive? Now, I've spoken to a few people who've watched him train and watched him off the field. And I'm told that he is a brilliant trainer, that he stays later, does extra sessions, turns up early when he needs to, because he's desperate to become one of the best players in the world um so what do you make of kind of this conflicting social media side of things and you mentioned the tiktoks obviously earlier on in in the video as well um and obviously what we hear about his training routine as well well i think obviously there's a bit maybe there's a bit of childishness to this kind of thing in terms Mm -hmm. of just you know just posting that maybe it's not 100 necessary but whilst it's you know semi-obvious what he's doing here it you probably can't nail on saying what the what the hell are you doing yeah. from like a club perspective, and yeah, as you mentioned, I've, I've watched that interview where where Ben did it with with Madrid. You can see that he's sort of open to the options of what is going on. Like, yes, Arsenal would be great for him. Similarly, he did one with uh, Vladimir Zinchenko, Zinchenko's wife, uh, yes. rec- like last month, where he was saying, "Yeah, I would love to move to Arsenal." if the opportunity arised. Um, I think the question is all going to be down to Shakhtar, really. He's obviously, we've got no questions about his, um, about his sort of personal term situation. As you mentioned, he wants to go there. But I think the, the main thing is, is that if he, for example, if the move didn't come off this winter mm. and he had to stay until the summer, which I think is the cutoff point, 100%, like as in, Shakhtar won't keep him beyond that. That's like I think more or less certain in terms yeah. of everything that we've been seeing. Um, he would carry on as like a model professional because he knows that he needs to do that if he wants to achieve everything that he's been speaking about. Like for example, in that in one of the other interviews that he did recently for Ukrainian YouTube, he mentioned that he sat down with Roberto De Zerbi. You know, around the time when Roberto Zerbi arrived and they had this little chat on the training pitch and Roberto Zerbi was like, what is your goal? Sort of, what, what do you want to do? And Madrid said, I want to win Ballon d'Or. Mm. And Zerbi was like, right, we'll work on everything that we possibly can to try and do that. And I believe in you for mm. that. So as long as he's got the faith of whoever is the manager and currently the manager, Shakhtar Ikhodjovic, is very much... Like he's a brilliant sort of people person and like a personable manager from that perspective who has put a lot of faith in Madrid um, this time and he's got great man management skills. I think that shouldn't be too much of a problem as long as he received that at Arsenal as well. And obviously we've seen uh, the likes of All or Nothing where Arteta is that kind of person. He gives you a chance and he will work with you um, just as long as you're not taking the piss. And I think in the grand scheme of things, um Madrid probably has stopped that from a footballing perspective and I think like anything that he does off the pitch won't have like a massive impact on anything to do with his football career yeah he's watching Arsenal but it's not really going to be <laughs> having problems with what goes on with his teammates or anything like that because I think most of them know that he is a talent and they respect mm. that as well so I think it's just all sort of just coming together. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I think probably something else to put into uh, perspective is that he is highly professional off the pitch in terms of um, he's a bit of like Alex Zinchenko. I don't think he drinks. He's relatively, he's not like a party person kind of mm. guy. 
he focuses a lot on like he's very religious um just likes cats you know it's like quite a, quite <laughs> yeah. a kind of an innocent innocent kind of um, i don't know scenario. some people like cats that are not innocent <laughs> at all <laughs> but it's it's like it's like that that's the kind of that's the kind of persona that he's shown and from speaking yeah. to people that have that know him and that have sort of interacted with him that's the kind of thing that they uh, pronounce from him and that he's like very much fully focused right now now that he's been given I don't know, second chance after sort of the Castro times at Shakhtar, that he's very much not going to let it go. Uh, I can't wait to see the Arsenal aggregators out tweeting Nicola Madrid likes cats uh, across <laughs> my social feeds later. That's going to be great. Um, let's let's move on to the statistical side of things. Um, now, of course, we've heard from the Shakhtar CEO continuously naming Anthony and Grealish in regards to kind of the price tag, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So I thought, why not use Anthony and Grealish in a statistical comparison and also with the player that he's most likely to be in rival with at Arsenal, which would be Gabriel Martinelli. Now, taking the statistics from uh, European Cup and League competitions, this is what they've played. Madrid, the second highest on here, just below what Martinelli's offered. Anthony and Grealish slightly less with their respective clubs. And we'll start with the heat map side of things. Uh, I think that the easiest thing to look at here is obviously the direct comparison between the player currently playing left wing for Arsenal with Martinelli on the left-hand side and, of course, Mudrick there as well. Now, the key difference, I think, between the two, and there is only a slight difference between the two, is that Martinelli tends to stay closer to the touchline on the left-hand side and usually uses the Granite Xhaka's spacing, which is also very close to him, and the inverted fullback behind him to, to make sure he stays out on the left and only cuts in when he has to, but he gets a lot of chance creation from that area and obviously scored from that area against West Ham at the weekend at that near-post strike. Mudrick, you can tell from his does tend to cut inside a lot more uh, and actually that's more similar to what we saw previously with Emil Smith-Rowe at Arsenal who liked to cut inside a lot earlier and a lot more do you think that Madrick would kind of transition and uh, and work his way into the more wider left role that Martinelli has been occupying at Arsenal with the, the, the support because you know a lot more than me the players around him and what they're doing compared to say what Xhaka and Tierney or Zinchenko are currently doing at Arsenal um, I think it wouldn't be that much of a problem for example when he's playing uh, for Ukraine for the kind of few games that he has had mm. he has had to go a bit wider um, out there to try and get the ball into the box and I've seen a lot of uh, Martinelli recently where it's very much, you know, he tries to play the combos with Odegaard and then he runs to the, like the, the touchline um, or to the byline so that he can sort of like cut it back into the box, for example, or take it on himself and score. Mm. And I think there's comparisons there as well, like in terms of the fact that, you know, when Martinelli is in and around the six yard box, uh, towards the left of it, obviously, um, he tries to go for those long shot, those long, uh, those left-hand low shots, or the or ones into the high corner, and that's something similar that Mudrik's been showing in recent times as well. So he's got that in his locker, essentially. Mm. But it's just that the way that Shakhtar play, the fullbacks are a bit overlapping um, okay. for him, like Mihailochenko, who he's played quite a lot with this this season. Um, Sort of Mudrik tracks, like holds back a bit and lets um, right. Mihailochenko go on the overlap. So if that's obviously that's not something that Arsenal really mm -hmm. play too deeply because uh, Zinchenko is a bit more reserved from that perspective, or, or even Tierney. Yeah, I think that's something that he can work into his game. 
And he certainly has done that in the past when he's not been playing with someone who's, well, with the fullback that's not necessarily overlapping. Yeah. Um, as you can also see, I think, in that heat map, it shows that he does track back a fair bit into his own half compared mm. to maybe Martinelli. And that's actually, I think, more from a perspective that a lot of the Schachter attacks start in their own half from a perspective that, you know, especially in the Ukrainian Premier League or even um, sometimes during the the Champions League where when you're on the counter and he's sort of like picked up from the edge of the box, driven it a bit and then tried to pass it on so that someone can feed him in again, uh, either through the long ball or through like a through ball. So yeah. I think I think that it's more than adaptable uh, to that kind of um, football. Just gonna, I think, maybe take a bit of time. And as we say, if he does make the move in January, um, mm. these six months, you know, especially with the kind of ascendancy that Arsenal are playing in, I think would be very fruitful for him. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the um, kind of what I think he'll transition into Arsenal with these six months if he arrives uh, in a little bit, and it, it kind of leads on nicely. What I would say is that I think there is definitely a bit of a coiled spring with this, um, with Zinchenko and Xhaka playing there. And as you say, with a different style, slightly different style of fullback playing in, in Shakhtar, he would be given more license, more space, more uh, responsibility on the ball. And I think that actually could suit him even more than it is right now uh, for Shakhtar. So that'd be interesting. In terms of goals and assists, uh, per 90, I always prefer to do it per 90 because it reflects more on the minutes played. Uh, he comes out the best in terms of both of those across this metric considerably so. I think he has seven goals and six assists assists uh so far this season just off yes indeed it is seven goals six assists in those competitions this season which is 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 fantastic to see um looking at where he tends to take his shots from and he is pretty accurate in fact he's significantly more accurate than most of the others on this list 64.4 percent of his shots do hit the target compared to martinelli's 42.9 uh anthony's 48.3 and grealish's kind of measly and it was measly when he had that chance to go over the bar against Leeds the other <laughs> night 28.6 um but you can see that the shots are typically on the left hand side the slightly purple um circles show you where the goals have come from and interestingly kind of four of the the seven come from you know either just on the line or just outside the box and kind of central he does like to, to get into that central area and shoot doesn't he yeah and not necessarily sort of like uh, wonder goals or anything like that, but the, I think a lot of the time it's like low driven mm. finishes and things and probably more shots that you wouldn't expect him to take. So he takes them quite early, um, so that the keeper's sort of off guard. I think I saw the goal that he scored in the last game that Shakhtar played. Um, whereas a lot of his shots dip really early before the goalkeeper and it really does put them off and it creates such a difficult... He's got a great technique when it comes to his shooting um, that isn't just kind of a direct effort towards goal. It, it, the ball moves. He's kind of really nailed down the technique of, of putting off a goalkeeper. So, And I think that's obviously led to why his percentages have been so good. That said, there is more than 30% of those shots that don't hit and a lot of them, when he likes to take them, can be a bit wild at times. So that's certainly wild. one to look out for yeah. that he needs to certainly uh, kind of refine in his game. But still, impressive. Um, he loves to be on the ball as we know loves to dribble with the ball as much as he can and it's unsurprising that he comes out with the most dribbles per 90 in this 7.4 but not only that he's, he's confident with that and he's successful when he dribbles 66.7 percent is the highest success rate with these and i think this is where most people will have seen the clips of him running away from defenders running in behind um i'm, I'm going to skip past this because i'm going to talk to you about his dribbling um in in the how he kind of will fit into arsenal in a second but in terms of his passing you mentioned this earlier on whilst it's not the, the most accurate in terms of the comparison with these 
And I think that comes down to more of, of him being trying to be a little bit more risky, trying to be a bit yeah. more uh, adventurous and creative with his passing. It doesn't always come off, but the variety of his passes is really impressive for, for kind of how early on he is in his career. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the main thing that probably he will have to do if he were to make a move is refine maybe that final ball, the decision yeah. making, like you say. He does have the ability to... To, to spray him wherever you really want um try and do those sort of um reverse passes especially in and around the edge of the box and when it comes to sort of driving towards um driving towards the sort of the goal line and then cutting it back and then not necessarily just like passing it into nowhere trying to pick out the pick out the player and because of what i mentioned about Shakhtar's other forwards where they're either a bit slower getting into the box or there's no one in the box some of those passes don't necessarily end up being fruitful so I think that's quite an interesting thing to him as in he doesn't like taking passes just lobbing them anywhere it's mm. more that he wants to try and feed someone in but it just doesn't end up working out or the other players aren't on the same wavelength as him and uh, sort of frazzles out you mentioned the passes into the box. Um, lowest mm. in terms of frequency um, and uh, only lower than that of, of Martinelli and Grealish in terms of accuracy. But he, as I say, it's the, it's the age thing I think that's counting against him here. He's developing. He's still young and those statistics we would expect to improve. I think also in an Arsenal team um, with the way in which Arteta loves to play, you'd see those stats significantly improve as well. But he's creative. He's not just that direct greedy guy. He can be, don't get me wrong. But he certainly is someone that wants to be creative, wants to create for his team and, and is certainly a team player at the same time. Um, going into kind of, as you mentioned, when we looked at the heat maps, the defensive side of his game, tracking back. Yes, certainly part of that heat map is affected by the way that Shakhtar built from the back. However, he comes out with the highest number of um, defensive duels per 90 um, compared to any of the others on this bracket with 5.05 and wins a good amount of them as well, more than 50% of them. Is it something that he's in the way that kind of is demanded from him at Shakhtar? are that the players have to track back they have to make sure they're getting back and and trying to recover possession or is it something that's naturally in his game that he's tenacious and he wants to get back and, and re recover the balls as early as possible yeah most of the time that is exactly the thing because he basically because of his sort of sheer pace he can afford to do that uh he can afford to run back towards you know maybe um the fullback or whoever a center back recover it and then try and restart the attack from there. Mm. And obviously in the Ukrainian Premier League, it's because Shakhtar are trying to build up from the back anyway, he is demanded to, to drop a bit deeper to try and force that out of, you know, out of Shakhtar's final third, per se. Mm. So that, that, that brings it into it. But also on top of that, I think that he is someone that will do that <laughs> and obviously we can see the success is over 50%, but sometimes the tackles don't fully work out. And obviously that is to be expected for a player who's not necessarily um, defensive. very defensive minded. But <laughs> yeah. but yeah, he, I think he, he can certainly work on that a bit more, but he will bring that, he will bring that sort of hope or um, how can I say it, demand to, to track back a lot more um, when he arrives at Arsenal. 
Indeed. Oh, I love the I love using the word when he arrives at Arsenal there, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it's moving more towards when than if at this rate. That's for sure. Um, now, fitting in at Arsenal, the next six months is key. And I think one of the big things about this January window for Arsenal fans is that Arsenal need to make sure they go out and sign and sign players that are going to have an immediate impact, not necessarily players that are just for the future. Mm. Now, I think the benefit from my position of Mudrick is that he fits into both categories. I think he would bring Arsenal immediate impact, and I think he would certainly give them long Longevity uh, with their investment as well. Now, I wrote about this uh, game and I wanted to bring it more into video form as well for you guys. So, putting together some of the clips that you're seeing here, uh, he came on with and he played 23 minutes in his official uh, international debut. Before, obviously, those those friendlies you discussed earlier on, those official um, debut uh, against Scotland on the international scene. I believe it was at the uh, semi final ish of the qualifiers before they played Wales yeah, the in, in the yeah. in the main playoff final and. Um, he came on, as I say, with 23 minutes to go in a position where Ukraine are winning 2-1 at this stage. And this is, I think, a game state that is going to happen a lot if he is to sign for Arsenal. Arsenal, we know this season, are one of the strongest teams in the league, are probably going to be entering the second half, you know, a lot of the time leading a game. If they are leading it by the one or two goals and they are under you know, a little bit more pressure. The other team is under more pressure to attack and it opens up more spaces. I think Madrid will be an absolute, like a, a real great utility, not utility, but a uh, a resource for Arsenal off the bench to try and kill off games. And I think that this game against Scotland and these images that I'm going to run through whilst Andrew's talking this through, I think absolutely highlight that. Is that a fair representation of what you think the immediate impact of Madrid will be when he joins, if and when he joins? Uh, most likely, to be honest, mm. unless Arteta's got some master plan to play yeah. Martinelli up front. Mm. Um, or <laughs> of course, yeah. Jao Felix uh, coming in as well, mm. playing some sort of false nine. Uh, I think, yeah, in reality, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too surprised if something like this happened. It, and it gives him basically a good window um, to adapt to the league, per se. So obviously regardless of if if he does sign in in the winter he's not he won't have played football since like early december so from the off he's going to need to get a bit of fitness back into himself mm -hmm. and i'm sure that he's been working in the gym and all that kind of thing but just match fitness and adapting to the tempo of the league i don't think will be too problematic compared to maybe some other ukrainian players just based on the fact that he has got that you know abnormal pace <laughs> that probably mm -hmm. most other players don't have and I think he will be coming on yeah like you say last 20 last 15 minutes to try and shore up the game he'll be in and around um, the box as well when it comes to like defending and then he can bring it out so it's like it's not going to be like a long hoof up the up the pitch he mm -hmm. will be starting up off um, the counter-attacks or even building up play from from the back with, you know, hopefully Zinchenko there behind him, who will probably have a good chemistry um, due to the nature of them playing in the national team as well. And on top of that, uh, as you can see from this particular clip, this is one that if the goal, if Dovbik, who's the centre forward in that final clip, scored that, this pass would have been doing mm. the rounds like it is unbelievable. Viral. It's, yeah. it's, one of, it's one of the greatest passes I've ever seen. But the yeah. fact that it wasn't finished, you, it's just not... You're never really going to see it. Anywhere. That's why I wanted to I use know. it. It genuinely... <laughs> 
It is one of the best passes I've ever seen. Like the outside of the boot, the power he gets on it, the weight of it is just perfect for the striker. And then he's, you know, he's he's running as well to try and catch up with the yeah. player. Maybe if if Dobrik had held the ball up a bit better, it, it would have been. But he, I think he gets it caught under his feet in the wrong moment. Exactly. And just, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. It was unbelievable. Just a shame. But but yeah, and essentially, once he is going to be involved, um, and it's sort of going to help him, I get get used to the sort of new players that he's got around him. Um, with the players that will be on the pitch, obviously, when it comes to it, if he, if him and Martinelli are going to be sort of interchanging in the side, in the grand scheme of things, for for the foreseeable anyway, um, that will work out with you know trying to link up with Odegaard to try and get a bit more telepathic per se between himself and um, him with Xhaka as well, party, and also Saka on the other wing because if they're going to be sort of switching between uh, one another, switching the ball and uh, trying to feed in. As we've already mentioned, Madrid likes to come in slightly centrally. And with obviously the fact that he is stronger on his right, he can feed in Saka, who runs into those spaces in the box and then Mm. ends up finishing them. So I think it's going to be quite positive for all if the move does, does occur. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we need to kind of get onto the discussion of of money um, because <laughs> that is the big stumbling block for this happening at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Arsenal have already had one bid uh, rejected. It is believed that bid was in the region of forty million euros up front, with additions that led to either twenty to twenty-five million euros in add-ons. So between sixty and sixty-five million as a total deal that was rejected some time ago. Uh, Shakhtar actually, as the time we're recording this, released an interview. Uh, with the vice president, I believe, of the club uh, on the website this morning. Uh, in that, they discussed that they're actually, they name Arsenal as one of the teams that obviously that are interested and that they said that they're going to have a, is it Nicolini, I think it was, that spoke about it and said that he's going to speak to Arsenal in, quote, five minutes. Now, James McNicholas of The Athletic has revealed that that conversation actually took place two days ago and now it's being yeah. released now. Um, so we imagine it probably had something to do with a, maybe a follow-up to the, the bid that yeah. was rejected. That's what we, we assume at this stage. I kind of... And the feeling is also that this public figure of 100 million euros that Shakhtar keep keep coming out with is a figure that they would be willing to compromise on and come down on. I'm curious, and I don't expect you to know any of the figures in terms of what it would eventually end up at, but two questions. One, what kind of, what, what feeling do you get in terms of how far we might see Shakhtar come down on? How have they been with it? I know that they are stringent negotiators in their deals and usually get very big fees for the players they sell. And he would, I think, still be a, a record sale at this stage in, from the Ukrainian Premier League. And secondly, how much is he genuinely worth that would not put in Arsenal into a position where you feel they were taking a massive risk of overpaying on a player? So for the first one, I think everything needs to probably be taken into context, especially mm. with the invasion and the war. Yeah. So obviously people who don't know about um, everything that's gone on is that FIFA brought in this rule where after the war began, players in both Ukraine and Russia, foreigners were allowed to leave the club, suspend their contracts with the club and find other teams to play on loan for. Right. But, Whilst your club, whilst your contract is suspended at Shakhtar, for example, it's still running down. So essentially, the the issue that Shakhtar have for a lot of the top talents that they had hoped to make, you know, sizable amounts mm. of money for, you know, twenty million, 
um, 30 million or so from the likes of Manuel Solomon, who joined uh, Fulham this summer. He was meant to be joining Fulham for around 7 million euros, which was like a massive cut price mm. anyway. But then this new FIFA ruling came in and he essentially left for free because there was no need for him to do that. And his contract runs out in the summer, as far as I'm aware, or mm. next December. But it means that once his loan is over, he's got six months to sign the pre-contract and he can leave for free anyway. So basically, Shakhtar have lost a lot of transfer money uh, or potential transfer money. They've taken this up with FIFA. They're currently in a CAS uh, court um you know uh court case with them with fifa mm-hmm. and that's currently ongoing i think that started last week and obviously i don't know how long those take to resume but we'll probably find out whether Shakhtar win 40 million that they're asking for off fifa in damages per se um yeah in the near future so on top of that obviously Shakhtar can't attract the kind of talent that they could have done in the past, especially even, you know, just 10 months ago when the war, when the full scale war hadn't gone, you know, beyond, uh, you know, Donetsk and everywhere else that where it has been going on for eight years. So they very much see, I think, Mudrik as a cash cow, which is understandable. They understand that he's probably the biggest talent that's come out of the club in years. Um, I think the last big money transfer that came out of Shakhtar was probably Fred, uh, like four mm-hmm. or five years ago. And essentially what we saw was that they don't get these big transfers that often, even though you think they probably do. And I think they're going to try and make out that they could do or They're going to try and make as much money as they possibly can from this. Because on top of that, if they sell him in January, for example, which... I think at the moment, everyone is edging towards that, especially from an Arsenal perspective. I think uh, the British media, everyone that's sort of in the know per se, think that Arsenal will be able to push Shakhtar um, to committing a deal. But I think the opposite side of it is, is that Shakhtar are currently second in the Ukrainian Premier League. They need to win the Ukrainian Premier League to get a uh, Champions League playoff spot so that they can then qualify mm. for the Champions League. And qualifying for the Champions League group say is like a massive cash uh, revenue, uh, income yeah. revenue for Ukrainian clubs and for any sort of smaller clubs. Because, you know, you get you end up getting 40 million euros just as a state, the fact that you qualified and then all the bonuses for wins and everything else. Mm. So I think that's something they're going to be taking into account. And I saw one of the Ukrainian journalists, Ihor uh, Bulbas, I shared it the other day, saying that that's currently the two minds that... Um, Rina Akhmetov, the Shakhtar owner, is looking at, does he take, you know, the money now? And I think he will if they come to the evaluation Mm. that Shakhtar want. Maybe not 100 million euros, but probably somewhere around, I don't know, 70 million, something like that, where it's going to, and then maybe some add-ons and bonuses and stuff to, to, to join in on that. And so I, I think it, it's currently sort of up in the air, but I know that it's going to be, I don't think this is going to be resolved too quickly. You know, like the first week of January, I don't see him moving really? just yet. I think, yeah. I think it probably might drag a bit longer than that. Just okay. knowing how, how Shakhtar are. And yeah. um, on top of that, just to move on to, is he worth the money? Is he worth the risk? Based on what I've seen of him, um, obviously, 
following over the past four years, he's improved like astronomically from the sort of player from those youth league days where he was quite mm-hmm. scrawny and had the potential, but had a lot of work to do. Yes, he's not the finished package just yet, but I think with everything that Arsenal want to build and the potential that Madrid has and everything that he's shown right now with sort of the natural abilities that would help him, I think, play quite well or adapt to the Premier League relatively quickly as well with the sheer pace, mm. um, with the low centre of gravity, beating, beating players um, with with good technical dribbling and obviously the passing. I think he'd be a lot better um, in terms of like, uh, per se, adaptable compared to maybe like a Nicola Pepe or some of the other players that we've seen in recent years that have come to the Premier League, maybe even from the Eredivisie, um, mm. that haven't really um, brought the place to, you know, set themselves alight. So we will see. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he left this January, but I just think that it's going to cost Arsenal a lot of money. So if I said to you... Um... The, the total package. My understanding is Arsenal don't want him to become Arsenal's highest ever player. They don't mm. want to go past the seventy-two million. So let's say seventy million, kind of max. If they had to go to that figure, is that is that worth it? I'm just going to put it. You know, the tough question: Is it worth it? Um, I would probably say so. In okay. all honesty, in the context in of 2022's transfer fees as well. Yeah. In in the context of 2022 transfer fees, obviously the market inflation. Thanks to City and United, uh, who've I think have had a massive impact on absolutely, this. Anyway. I agree. Yeah, he, he, absolutely. He, he probably we probably wouldn't even be having this conversation if it wasn't for those two. Yeah, uh, both coming. Obviously, Grealish was adapted to the Premier League, but he wasn't like you know a hundred million you know face value. And the same with Anthony coming from Eredivisie mm-hmm. and not necessarily being this world beater that that he was. You know, straight in to come in at that money, but. From what we've seen, for example, in the Champions League, especially where he is, where he looks like he can be that match winner in a better team with better players around him, just Shakhtar just don't have the full ability to get it over the line, you know, to get mm. that win against Real Madrid where they conceded in the, the final seconds. It's just like, I think that Madrid is the kind of player that, that can change games on his head, you know, and he just needs that one chance to do so. Absolutely. Um, we've got Andrew for another 10 max minutes and I want to take uh, some of your questions as well from the chat box. Uh, one of the things that is coming up a lot, I think, from the doubters uh, of Shakhtar, and I saw a comment from, I think it was Adam in the chat, who was talking about kind of the, the level of the Ukrainian league. You watch the Ukrainian league more than anyone I know um, and obviously have a much better understanding of it uh, than anyone else. Um, yes, here's the comment from Adam who says, because I think it was more satirical because the, the league is so competitive. Uh, that makes those stat comparisons so relevant, um, obviously indicating that he feels that comparing you know statistics of a player playing in Ukraine. Also, th- those stats did take into account the Champions League games is worth remembering and uh, and the cup games as well. What do you make of that argument? I speak to a lot of European football experts. Obviously, shut this down as they naturally would because of you know that they're very proud of the, the the league that they watch and that stuff. But genuinely, kind of, what's your view on on using Mudrik's kind of performances in Ukraine as any kind of barometer of, of quality? Well, I think the main thing that the probably the main takeaway you need to take away is probably that the stuff that we just discussed about the low blocks. And playing against defensive sides because Shakhtar is one of the best teams in the league. 
week in, week out, they're playing against 10 men behind the ball kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of forcing Madrid to play in the style that he isn't playing in the Champions League, for example, against better quality opposition. So he's got that, uh, you could say, um, experience of doing so. Yes, the quality of defending probably is nowhere near the level of some of the top leagues. That's that's I'm not doubting that. And the quality of the league has dropped exponentially in the past few years, especially this year due to the war. And mm. there being obviously a lot of foreigners that have left uh, and everything that's that's with it. But from a purely... Um, from a purely sort of ability perspective, from what we've seen from Madrid, not just against, um, you know, play against the top teams, for example, he's been playing really well against Dynamo Kiev, against Neat Pro One. He had a good game. Shakhtar lost that. So that just, that just shows um, that perspective. On top of that, also, I think there's the question that he's been playing quite well for the national team and also for uh, Shakhtar in the Champions League. So, that's the general consensus that I can take. I think yeah. what he will probably need to do, I think if he was to make the move now, it would probably be better than just coming in from the summer, mm. mainly because he will be in that position, as we mentioned, coming off the bench, maybe integrating himself a bit more um, a bit more easily or yeah. less intense than he probably yeah. would if he was like coming in as a starter uh, after you know, winter break and all that, uh, after the summer break and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's not the highest barometer, but I think it shows the ability that he can do things that some people have doubts they can, you know, do. Indeed. Uh, Lars, the quick question of any injury history, I did check this, according to Transomart, there isn't any on note, but are you aware of any little issues he's had or things in the past? Because nothing's come up when I've done any research on it. Um, as far as I'm aware, he might have had like a few knocks or something in the past, but nothing mm. major that would be sort of seen as possible impact on him in the future. Uh, Tom says uh, in the chat box, a Gakpo just signed for around 50 million, 35 plus 15 uh, with add-ons. Offer that overall 50 million and 10 to 15 add-ons that are only activated if we win, say, the league and the Champions League, if we were to try and offer that with, with Shakhtar. I mean, when you see a player, we, we talked about Grealish and, and Anthony go for like 100 million euros, but we have seen, say, Gakpo, someone who scored, you know, over 30 goal contributions already this season. Mm-hmm. I think Arsenal will probably point to that the same way that Shakhtar are pointing to Anthony and Grealish as kind of a barometer of money. It, it's, I, I, I say this a lot on the morning shows. It's very difficult to compare players' valuations because there's just so many other factors like league, length of contract, wages, age, you know, all of these things. It makes it near impossible. So is that kind of where you stand on on trying to find a valuation for a player? Because ultimately, it's what the market are willing to pay is, is what a player's worth. I mean, it is interesting. I, I wouldn't like if, for example, if he was sold for like that similar fee that what, what that Gakpo signed for, for mm. Liverpool, I wouldn't have been surprised. I would have said, yeah, that's probably fair enough. But I think just the way that Shakhtar are, we just know that they are very stringent in the in the transfer market. Also, the parameters that they've got for their own survival as a club, yeah. the fact that they want to probably maximise the amount of money that they possibly can from a player of that talent. Um, that's just how it is. And I think that's how it's always going to be. Uh, it's just the club 
really. And I don't think there's anything that's going to change that um, any any time in the near future. And it's been, if anything, it's been amplified by the fact that uh, Russia invaded Ukraine because of everyone leaving and the fact that there's now going to be, it's going to be harder to bring in replacements uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Fuad says, do you think with Zinchenko at Arsenal already, it will help him to acclimatise better? Uh, and will the wishes of the player be any bearing on Shakhtar allowing him to leave at a lower figure? Uh, second part, probably not. <laughs> In the yeah. game, just, just from what we've discussed. Um, first, first bit, for sure, I think Zinchenko will help him out a lot. Uh, we know the kind of leader that Zinchenko is. So he's, he will certainly, I think, be in there in training sessions, helping him out. A good positive already is that Madrid's quite good at English from the interviews that I've seen. He can speak quite well in them. And I think he has got that folk, that sort of razor-sharp focus where he's not going to be going to nightclubs and stuff mm. um, uh, in the middle of London or wherever. Rather, he's going to be focused on he's going to be focused on the football and sort of trying to work with um, Arteta and everyone else in the coaching staff to try and better himself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know we've talked about money a lot, but I think it's probably the best point to, to end the show on this kind of question from Ashwin. Simply, how can you justify around 80 million euros for a winger in the Ukrainian league that only made his senior debut a bit less than two years ago? I mean, we can also do the comparison of Real Madrid signing Endrick. recently (laughs) he's got no real senior um yeah experience other than you know making his debut and he's 15 or or 16 or however old he is so i think that it's it's a bit it's a bit um it's a question that obviously shaft is probably best um to operate at asking but i think the fact Mm. of the matter is that they see the fact that he's played quite well in the champions league in a team like Shakhtar, who were written off at the very start of the campaign, having lost all their Brazilians and all that kind of stuff, and to have you know gone toe to toe in both games against Real Madrid, for example, um, scoring against Celtic home and away, and playing quite well in the first match against Red Bull Leipzig, that mm. and also in it, he's been playing quite well for Ukraine as well, and I think. <laughs> England play Ukraine in March. So I think Shakhtar have also got one eye on that, knowing Mm. that if they don't let him go, there's going to be another sort of big global stage where everyone's going to be watching him during that game. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it it is difficult to justify. There's no doubt about it. Everyone in Ukraine saying, bloody hell, even even we think that's a lot, you know, just normal, normal fans and that kind of thing. Just let him go, let him develop. But... I think Shakhtar are sort of trying to find, well, trying to aid their own survival here too. Um, So we will see um, how that actually ends up. Yeah, I mean, obviously they signed Vinicius Junior as well as a 16-year-old for like 30-plus million. Obviously, Manchester United signed Anthony for 100 million euros with just, I think, 50-plus Eredivisie appearances as well. So, and I think the Eredivisie, you know, when you look at the Ukrainian league, and I'd probably rank Eredivisie slightly higher, but you look at the players that obviously come from, from both leagues that have made their way in top European leagues around the world and been successful. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's almost impossible, as I said earlier on, to, to try and sit here and, and say, 
say we can justify it. The only way that the price tag will ever be justified is if Mudrick arrives and smashes it. That's the only yeah. way that it will happen. So we're just <laughs> going to have to wait and see. I, I hope that you've enjoyed this in-depth chat and breakdown. There's been over 1,500 of you watching live, uh, which is amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and do drop a like on the video and do please send thanks to Andrew uh, on Twitter. You can find him at Zoya Londonsk uh, over there. But Andrew, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I really appreciate it. Cheers, Tom. Been a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm sure uh, we'll be linked to some more Ukrainian uh, talents in the future and you'll see Andrew pop up on the channel once again. Of course, if we do end up signing uh, Mudrik, maybe it'd be good to have another catch up at that time after we know the real fee and we can have more of a discussion around that as well uh, and in the future. But do make sure you give Andrew a follow uh, on the socials uh, and send him some thanks for taking up his time this afternoon to have a good chat about Mudrik. Thank you to everybody that's watched. If you are new to the channel, we do these shows about Arsenal's uh, transfer targets and we get very close to potentially signing them we like to do these in-depth breakdowns we do daily shows looking at arsenal's transfer news at 8 a.m uk time and of course reaction to the games i'll be at the amex on new year's eve now uh, to watch the game against brighton fingers crossed can get some access as well uh, and ask some interesting questions to the manager and players after the game as well we'll see you again uh, very soon and i'll see you tomorrow morning for the next 8 a.m show have a fantastic afternoon i'll see you very soon and as always of the arsenal It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18-plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.